The Alabama Crops Report podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Alabama Crops Report podcast. I am Caitlin Kessheimer, Extension Entomologist. And I'm Adam Rabinowitz, Extension Economist. Hey, Adam. Welcome back. It's been a little bit since we've been hosting together. Absolutely. We have uh, done quite a few episodes of the podcast, and it's exciting to be here with you today. Um, I'm excited to introduce our guest as well. So we have Dennis Brothers, who is an Associate Extension Professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics and Rural Sociology at Auburn University. And Dennis generally works on poultry issues, um, but he's also engaged in solar adoption and the use of solar technology on the farm. And and that's what we're going to talk about today, Um, you know, in terms of not just using solar on the farm, but ways to make money in terms of uh, solar leasing. So Dennis, it's great for you to be here today. Thank you, Adam. Glad to be here. And Dennis is a a first-time guest. And like Adam said, I'm really excited because I don't know much about solar leasing. Um, I've heard the term here and there over the past couple months. But just kick us off, Dennis. What is solar leasing? What is solar leasing? Well, under most applications, Solar land lease is just basically a land rental proposition. Developers of solar, the solar solar generation companies, they basically lease land as a place to put panels to generate solar and to then turn out and and uh, to sell that power to utility companies. And is that popular here in Alabama? Not really. Okay. <laughs> uh, just to be honest, uh, most of this occurs in states that have uh, utility company and uh, relationships with the state governments that allow net metering situations with utility companies and where utility companies actively purchasing solar power. Uh, That doesn't happen a lot in Alabama. Uh, And also, it's more prevalent in states that have high rates of solar irradiation, like Arizona or New Mexico or places in the out west that have a lot higher solar rate. But I know we've got a, you know, within the region here in the southeast region, there are some areas where, you know, you drive around and you see some large, you know, what I call almost solar farms. Solar farms is the popular term. That's what you most of the time you hear folks talk about them as is solar farms. Uh, And there are some of those in existence in in the southeast. There's a few in Alabama. There's more in Georgia. Uh, there's some in Florida, but once again, that is, it's completely based on the local utility company and and what they want to do because somebody has to buy that power. So if if a, a local utility company has a desire to purchase the power, then that's then it's a possibility that some of these may exist. So you mentioned out west, there's a lot more, um, but the possibility to put them here in Alabama does exist. So what? are the requirements in terms of how much land do they need, what type of land are they looking for, and do any areas of Alabama fit that bill? It's possible. I said the first requirement is you got to have a utility company that wants to buy the power. But if that exists, the farms have to be located close to a high-voltage transmission line, close enough that they can get the power from the farm to a transmission line or a substation. And so that's one, uh, one requirement. Plus, it has to be land that's relatively level, uh, you want it's hard to put these panels on land that's real hilly and cleared land uh, because if you have to go into the expense of clearing the land first, then it uh, drastically cuts down on the value of of the power you're generating. So, 
cleared land, uh, a good access to it, land that doesn't take a lot of a lot of preparation, uh, can't be too rocky because you have to drive these panel racks into the ground that holds the panels up. So can't have a high, a real real rocky area that makes it prohibitive. You've probably heard me talk about my time in in West Texas, so I can see how out west would be a really great place because it's flat for miles. Clear land, not many trees. No trees, nothing to clear, just a little bit of dust here and there. And And that's, you know, you mentioned dust. That's a consideration. Out there, one of the problems they have is dust that accumulates on the panels. And we don't necessarily have that that problem in the southeast because typically we get enough rain in a year that washes the panels off pretty well just by natural rain events. So... There is some trade-off when you go out west. You got to deal with dust and you know dirt accumulation on the panels, and that had to be washed, uh, and that could take a considerable a considerable amount of water and expense where there's not always a lot of water available. Sure, absolutely. But I'm hearing a couple of things that might be some opportunities for row crop producers in that you know having that larger area of land that's flat and you know generally free of the the hilly areas or the rocks and and such um, could provide them an opportunity if it's right in the state um, you know and so can you talk a little bit about that in terms of within Alabama but also what farmers could expect on a per acre return yes well first you think about scale and typically a solar farm is between one and five one and five megawatts. Okay, a megawatt is a thousand kilowatts, and that one megawatt typically takes about two and a half acres of land of coverage. So you're looking at the land requirement may may not be that big, but a lot of your larger solar farms may be 50 megawatts. So you're looking at you know 100 acres. The value of that what a landowner could expect to get in a solar lease is highly variable and you hear all kind of numbers and it all depends on how much what the value of that power being produced is which once again goes back to how much a utility company is willing to pay for the power and you hear numbers from 200 to 2000 dollars well, that's a wide range and it can be a very wide range and it varies with all those things we've talked about. Is the land flat? Is it, does it have good access to a high voltage line? Is it you know, relatively easy to install? Can they get to it? All those things play into it. But probably one of the, one of the biggest factors is how much is that produced power going to be worth? And we have to remember, a lot of people don't understand this, but if you have a solar farm lease and you're leasing your land, you're not, you're not in the solar power generation business. You're in the land rental business. So you're giving somebody else your land to use. So it means you don't have access to it. And these are long leases, 25, 30 years. There is some security factor that a lot of growers think about. Well, I can get, I can guarantee some income on this land for the next 25, 30 years. Yes, you can, but you're stuck with that. And you don't have any other option if you sign that lease. So you've got to look long-term and think long-term. and. You hear a lot of these high numbers like $2,000 an acre. Well, if it's too good to be, sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And uh, we, you have to be careful uh, when you're dealing with solar companies and make sure you're dealing with somebody that's reputable. We've heard of, of growers saying, yeah, they told me they're going to give me this much money, and that, and that, that much money never, never showed up. So 
there's some some due diligence that growers need to do if you're considering something like this. If somebody comes to you and wants to rent your land for this purpose, you need to do a little work to find out about who you're talking to. So it sounds like there is, I mean, with the security and variability of, of agriculture and prices and everything else, there is, as a benefit, that security for 25, 30 years. But there's also some some potential risks. And so what advice would you have for growers that are maybe thinking about getting into a contract with a, a solar leasing company on their land? Well, one of the first things you I would tell them is to really think about, do they know what they're going to be doing with their land or want to be doing with their land 25, 30 years from now? Or what are their heirs going to be wanting to do with that land 25, 30 years from now? You know, a lot of times these leases are gotten into by an older farmer, and they may not be the ones that will be over the land in 15 years. And but yet, there's you know, here's another 15 year left on this lease, and his family can't do anything with that with that land until the lease is up. And then once that lease is up, somebody has to be in charge of decommissioning this these panels, taking take them off the property putting the property back in use as it was prior. Uh, there's some cost and expense to that. Uh, you don't want a company just that runs their lease out and then, then they're gone. So that's a consideration. Uh, one consideration people don't often think about is a lot of these leases are very restrictive, so much so that even the landowner himself can't go on his own land while it's under lease. He's restricted from entry hmm. for, for any purpose. Sometimes there are restrictions of what can be done around the, of the land. You know, for instance, hunting. You know, they don't want somebody hunting, and a stray bullet coming and hit the solar panel, or you know, some activity that creates a lot of dust that could cause a you know a cleanliness problem on the panel. So there can be a lot of restrictions as well, and all that all that must be looked at. You know, and considered. Yeah, what I'm hearing is if any potential contracts need to be read over with a fine-tooth comb to make sure you understand exactly what you're you're getting into with this. And there's no standard contract. It's going to vary with whatever solar generation company th- that you deal with. There's no, that I know of, there's no uh, no laws or state or, or state or federal laws that oversee these contracts. It's just up to private negotiation between the landowner and the solar company is what they decide to do. So it could be anything. So that dollar amount that, that one might expect to receive as a payment for having that is is certainly a nice little buy-in and, and gets your attention. But there are a lot of considerations that you've mentioned here and just a lot of issues that, that landowners and, and producers need to think about um, you know, and, and what that potential lost income is going to be from not having that land for that crop for that long period of time. It's definitely an opportunity cost situation. You know, I, what am I giving up? Yeah, especially with, with restrictive access to your land or, or building around it if you have future plans. It sounds like there's a lot to, to think about here. It's like, Once again, it's, it's highly variable. I've seen small solar farms in the middle of a, of a subdivision. I've seen small solar farms out in the middle of a on the edge of a cotton field. And so if I was a grower, if I was a row crop grower and I was looking at, at this, I'm going to look first at my marginal producing land perhaps or land that I have to just only get to farm a piece of it because it's, it's wet during the wrong times of the year. You know, some things like that 
that'd be the first place I would look if I was looking at something like this. Look at the marginal land or the land that hasn't been producing very good for the last you know five, ten years, and and it's not worth putting the extra effort to get it to produce. And those kind of things are what I would look at. Uh, you know, to take some prime cropland out of production to put a, a solar farm in. I mean, sure, you can do that, but you got to think about this as a 25- or 30-year decision. Am I going to be okay with that? There are some other opportunities for growers to look at solar that may not involve long-term leasing, for sure, of large bits of property, particularly if I'm a grower that has some alternative use for electricity. If I'm, you know, got a, a greenhouse or, you know, something like that, or poultry, for instance, and I'm using a lot of, of electricity. I could possibly get into to solar as a way to offset purchased electricity, and that can be done. Uh, one of the one of the obstacles of that is it, it can be a cash, a high cash cost to get into that situation. But there are leasing opportunities that a grower could get into where he leases from a solar producer or a solar company that he leases a system for a period of time, kind of like a lease-to-own situation, where he pays a lease payment. The solar generation company is using net metering laws or net metering opportunities to sell power to utility company during the lease period. That's where, that's where they're making their money, plus some tax incentives possibly. But after a certain period of time, after the grower has paid this lease payment, he has basically paid for the system, and then he retains ownership. Which means ownership of the ownership power of the, that of the power it produces, as well as the panels themselves. So, it's a way to get into the uh, the solar game without going through the large upfront cash expense or the large uh, uh, loan to get it to get the system. You probably, in the long run, because these are twenty five, you know, thirty year systems that continue to produce. If you go into a lease that lasts ten or twelve years, fifteen years. You've, you've paid for it at no additional cost over what you would normally, normally be paying for electricity. And then after that period, you've got the benefit of this free electricity for the remaining life of the system. So that's one way that leasing can can be used. But these are typically smaller systems, you know, small systems that are just producing enough power to supply some enterprise on the farm. So this 25, 30-year lease, I'm curious, is that the amount they use because it's how long the equipment will last for? Is it built to last longer? And that's just how they much how much time they need to make enough money and power back? Where does that number come from? Great question. Two purposes. One, that is the general, generally accepted warranty life of a solar system or these, the panels that produce the power. They are all warranted now for 25 years, some 30. So a solar developer knows he can count on those panels to produce the required amount of electricity to pay for his project over that 25-year period. Plus, it uh, it just takes takes that long, typically, to pay for the project. Part of their business model is it takes a long term to, to make a return. But that is, like I said, tied to the long life of the, of the panels as well. They don't quit producing power after 25 years, but they're no longer warranted. So the question is, they've lost some production after that time, so is it economically feasible to replace them or just 
quid using them. You know? Sure. So definitely something for, for potential investors or growers to look into costs of repair or replace after that amount of time. But during the leasing process, that's not something that the grower is going to have no, to worry no, about. No, no, But afterwards, as you mentioned earlier, the decommissioning of the system right. is important to have clearly stated because you know, a producer does not want to be left with all this hardware sitting on their land exactly. and having to figure out what to do next. It's going to be expensive to get rid of it if he wants to start cropping land again. He's got to get rid of that. So, yeah, it can be an expensive, expensive proposition. Well, Dennis, this was super interesting. I knew nothing about solar leasing, solar farms coming into this, and I feel like we barely just touched the surface of it. So um, any parting words you want to leave with our listeners before we go? Or we could do our fun fact <laughs> that we skipped in the very beginning because Adam was so excited to jump in. So <laughs> we'll ask you now, Dennis, what fun fact do you want to share with our listeners? Well, I'm an old Auburn, Auburn alumni as is my wife, as is my two children. So I bleed orange and blue from, from the start to the finish. Uh, I guess that's a fun fact. That so, is, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I think this is where we say War Eagle, that's right? right. <laughs> War Eagle, War Eagle. <laughs> that's right. I mean, Caitlin, you and I are, are, are new to the Auburn family. Mm-hmm. We are transplants. So, um, yeah, I, I, my husband works here, so I guess, yeah, as a family, we, we bleed orange and blue. Orange blue, yeah. <laughs> My wife is now a PhD student here, so. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Welcome to her. So yeah, once Auburn gets in your blood, it's hard to get it out. Yeah, it, yeah. I think they've <laughs> they've trapped me here, so <laughs> everyone's stuck with me for a little bit. Well, Dennis, thanks for joining us today. This was super fun, and I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if y'all have any questions, feel free to reach out to us, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Alabama Crops Report podcast. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.